Good morning. It's so good to see you this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. I don't tend to reference too uh, many um, pop culture things, but are you familiar with American Ninja Warrior? Is that something everybody kind of knows? Yeah. I'm sure the room is seething with potential competitors now, we all think. Like, we watch that. Every man in the room has seen at least a portion of that and go like, Psh, I could do that. And then our ribs recovers, our wife goes, you won't get off the couch, what are you talking? Anyway, so they go through this obstacle course. If you haven't seen it, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty fun television. I don't, we turn it down a lot and watch the action. It's a lot of fun to watch, but um, they go through this incredible obstacle course and there, there are people who train for this all year long and I, I think the prize money's good, but man, to train all year long, what's, what's your life? That's incredible. But they train all year long for this. They'll step over things, you could fall in the water, and it's just incredible to watch. You can memorize a course, and then they will totally tweak something, and they'll tweak the distance, and so you just have to be a good athlete and go for it. And women and men alike are incredible to watch compete at this. I asked my kids last night to imagine, as difficult as it is, just imagine if they shut all the lights off in the room and blindfolded the contestants. Now, that's some t that would be a blooper reel worth watching, probably not a competition. Because it doesn't matter how well you train. If you can't see what to do on an obstacle course, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. All right, so in that domain, all the lights are off, the contestant's blindfolded. Now turn on one light bulb. Well, that's not enough for the cameras to adjust. It's a lot of drawback with just one bulb on. But it's enough to do better than with all the lights off. Just a little bit of light helps a whole lot, doesn't it? When Jesus makes the statement, I am the light of the world, he's not a candle in the midst of a dark space. The Bible describes the Son of God as brighter than the noonday sun, a blinding light. And that's the text that we look at this morning. The picture of that in front of us is not some small nightlight helping you navigate the bedroom at night so you don't stub your toe again on the corner of the bed. No, this is the brightest of all lights. This is the light sent directly from heaven. It's the light sent directly to our clear and present darkness. It's the light sent directly to purify us, to lead us, to fill us, and to point others to. It's the light sent directly from heaven to reveal to us that Christ is the treasure that our souls long for. So the sermon title is also the first point this morning. If you're taking notes, you can follow along on our church app. The notes are there and some additional study helps for you this morning. But if you look at verse 12, the first note is pretty self-explanatory. Here's note number one. Shocker, very uncreative, but there it is. Jesus is the light of the world. Now we sing things like that at Christmas and we like to reflect on that. And as we were talking this morning with the worship team, it was, we said very few Christians would, would huff up at that. We'd all go, yeah, that's great. Great statement there. That's, I know where that is. Look at the text. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Now we see that statement made there. It's very clear what he's saying. But Jesus has a way of saying things 
that where he says it matters and, and what he's saying matters. So there are two layers of significance I want to bring out to you in that one little statement under Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. There's application this morning for the child of God on such a simple message. We'll get to that. But there's also a call to those of you who are living in darkness to come to the marvelous light. The first thing I want to peel back is that the scriptures from the Old Testament all the way up to this point have been pointing to God revealing himself as light. Now, it doesn't mean that all light is God, but it does mean that God is light. In the Old Testament, it's clear. Let me just hasten through and tell you that in the final verses of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi would say in Malachi 4, but, you who, but for you who fear my name, the sun, there it is, of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. That's, that's toward the end, the capstone of the Old Testament. It's a final thought. So you're closing the term paper and you're turning it in and he says, make a convincing argument about what's coming. And, and, and Malachi the prophet, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, proclaims this to Israel and there will be hundreds of years of silence and darkness. But there's still the promise of the sun of righteousness rising with healing in its wings. And we fast forward those couple of hundred years and we come to where Jesus is being dedicated in the temple. Remember this? We covered this a few years ago in Advent. In Luke 1, Simeon, who is there worshiping the, the Lord, uh, takes the baby Jesus in his arms in the temple and worships the Father and begins to sing a song. And part of his song, he says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun rise, there it is, shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, I want you to think about the callbacks there. Just leave that verse up for me, Mark, for just a moment. Here's the sunrise. He's calling back to Malachi. Those who sit in darkness. You know the scripture in Isaiah where he says, a great light has come to those who are in darkness. To guide our feet in the way of peace, the psalmist, the shallow, uh, valley of the shadow of death, the 23rd Psalm, one of the most famous psalms that we know. It's a powerful thing. Maybe you can think back to the beginning of our study in John, John 1.14, where John writes, we have seen his glory, the King James says, and we beheld his glory. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now, most Bible scholars and probably most of you in this room, after you read the Gospels, would recognize, John wrote this after these events had occurred. He's writing this, the Holy Spirit speaking through him. God's the author. He's using men to write. John's writing this, recapping the thing. And so he's giving a spoiler alert here for what happened. Do you remember the account on the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John are going up to the mountain with Jesus. And the Bible says in Matthew 17 that our precious Lord's face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. It's, it's just acknowledged and received that when he writes that, he's writing of the fact that they've seen Jesus shine, Jesus shine. So the 
the scriptures point to the fact that God is like, and here's Jesus standing and saying, I am what the scriptures spoke of. Again, we read that and we're like, yeah, he's the light of the world. Awesome. I think I heard a sermon one time. There are seven I am's in the book of John. You're going to preach that, Pastor? Maybe. Right? It's just kind of a, okay, he's the light of the world. It's a monumental declaration. He is claiming authority that no one has ever claimed that's had flesh on The second thing about Jesus saying this is where he's saying it. If I were to hold a basketball up to you right now, first of all, just process your pastor holding a basketball up. I would probably hold it improperly. Let's acknowledge that. I could take some pointers from my wife, who is the one who goes out and balls with our kids at our little hoop that we have. Apart from it being strange, since I'm not a prop preacher, what do you suppose the value of that basketball would be since the senior pastor of Grace Covenant Church at the corner of South Boulevard and East Boulevard is holding a basketball? I mean, do you think the tickers start going up immediately? Let me just tell you, I had to do research to even find out how much one costs. That's how much in, in touch with sports I am. I went for the super primo, highest value I could find. Academy Sports sells something called a Wilson Indoor Evo Next for $100. $100 for a basketball. I thought if you'd have asked me, I would have never guessed. I'd have said $10. And you'd have said, uh, it's more than that. I'd have said $12. Like I would never have gotten up to $100. What if I gave that to you, presented that to you, Josh, present this basketball to you and say, how much you think that's worth? And Josh would say, do you have the receipt? Possibly $100 if you didn't mess it up, right? What if I signed it? Pastor Chad, right? Hannah Josh Josh says, now I can't return it. It's actually worth less money, right? So the value goes down. Now, what if Michael Jordan showed up here on a Sunday morning? You better believe I'm preaching the gospel. But what if he showed up on a Sunday morning and held it in his hand, just held it in his hand, and we caught that on video and then offered it to you, Josh? Tears from Josh's eyes. Thank you, sir. And he goes and sells it and pays off all his bills, right? I, I went and looked, actually, the value increases. I saw one online that was just a uh, Jordan game ball. Uh, if he signed it, it goes up significantly. There's a Jordan signed ball that's not even a championship ball for $12,000. It's a basket. I bet it's not a Wilson Evo next either. What if it was from his last game from the last dance? I couldn't find it. I looked. But I did find out that his jersey from that is on auction for somewhere for between three to five million dollars. Same ball. It, it's a basketball. But who's holding it matters. And what happened to it, the story behind it matters. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's saying this at the end, if you remember, of the Festival of Tabernacles. There are two great ceremonies that happen there. We covered one in a sermon where he said, those who are thirsty, come to me. In John 7, 37 and 38, Jesus said, uh, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now this is... Part of the ceremony, by the way, he goes on to say, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is the ceremony of the Feast of Tabernacles called the pouring out of water. So he's doing this on the backdrop of something that they all know associated with water. 
When he says, I'm the light of the world, it's the part of the ceremony. He's in the place in the treasury where the illumination of the temple happens. Now, it's already happened. That happens early on in the Feast of Tabernacles. But it's a spectacular celebration, both in its concept and in its annual observance. In the center of the treasury, there were four great torches set up. Hold that image for just a moment, Mark. I'll tell you when to throw it up. These torches were probably as high as the highest walls of the temple. And on top of the golden candelabra, there was this bowl that held about 17 gallons of oil. That's a lot of oil. You could fry some turkeys in that, baby. That's a lot of oil. These young, healthy priests would walk up this flimsy ladder to pour those gallons of oil up there and then light the wick. Now, there's an image, and because of our projection with sun uh, and light things here, I'm going to try to put this image up on the screen and see if you can see it a little bit. You've got a little perspective there. If you want a clearer image, you can turn around and look at the monitor at the back of the thing. And while you do that, just wave everybody online. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. So there were great flames that leapt out of that, and those flames were visible and illuminated all of Jerusalem. They could see this for miles. The Mishnah describes what happened like this. The men of piety and good works used to dance before these burning torches. They also had torches in their hands, singing songs and praising countless uh, and praising the Lord. Countless Levites played harps, lyres and cymbals and trumpets and instruments of music. Now, I think there are two groups here. I don't think you're playing a harp and holding it. I don't know how you do that, but I think there's torch holders and musicians there. They would dance until dawn, until they celebrated uh, what God was doing. It was the celebration that God had delivered his people with the pillar of fire. Jesus stands in the midst of this with those charred torches on the ground, the flames having leapt down, the candelabra still visible, and he raises his voice above the crowd and says, you think this light is something? I am the light of the whole world. Not just the Mesopotamian region that you know. Not just the shores of what you know in Galilee. I light up the world. So you come to a simple statement like that. Don't throw it away. Do the digging. Do the work. Throughout the Old Testament to the final words of that testament, God points to himself as light. God led the wise to the prize of Christ using the light of a star. Jesus is announced as the light by a worshiper in the temple when he came for circumcision. Then this dramatic way, one of the seven IMs of John, God is telling us who he is. What a way to focus people's attention. And I hope he has our attention this morning. I want to say something to you and I want it to resonate for just a moment. Jesus is the light of the world. Not education. Not wealth. Not prestige, not influence, not ethnicity, not innovation, and not religious systems. None of those things have the authority or the substance to satisfy and consume us. They are clouds without water. Jesus is the light of the whole world. He's the light, and he lights the way to life. That's, those are his words. Psalm 36, 9, For with you, O Lord, is the fountain of life. In your light 
do we see light? John 1, 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is that light. Now there are some ramifications for us to amen the statement, Jesus is the light of the world. I'll come to those in just a few moments. The second thing I observe in the text this morning, I think you'd write down the same note. If I asked you to work the text this morning, it jumps right out at you. Go back to verse 12 and you'll find that Christians walk in the light. Jesus is the light. Christians walk in the light. That's your second point. To quote one of my props, I don't see you writing, so I'll wait. Christians walk in the light. Look at verse 12 again. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. John would later write, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. First off, side note, Hallelujah for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. I mean, hallelujah for the blood of Jesus that washes the believer from all sin. If he would have only shed one drop, it would have been enough. But he shed his blood on a criminal's cross for you and for me to pay our sin debt. He said, Pastor, you talk about that a lot. Yeah, I've not gotten over that and won't for eternity. Hallelujah for the blood of Jesus. The light shining in our lives is Christ's light, and he shines it by the Holy Spirit. What a privilege. The Bible calls you and me. Have, have you been called any names this week? I know some of our love lifers and some of our folks that are working at uh, the closest thing to the gates of hell this side of eternity, abortion mills. Uh, Flip probably has the third volume 27th chapter of creative names he's been called as he stands and proclaims truth and light. Some of our others too. Edith, bless your heart. Pam, so many. Mark, called a lot of names. Josh. The Bible refers to me and you. That's a better place to get our identity from, isn't it? As children of light. We don't have fellowship with darkness. You, you won't find many dark things in our home. I, I, don't, I don't want to fellowship with darkness. One of our kids were walking out of a church service one day. I think I'm remembering this right. And I think it was Chase. And uh, Chase has a wonderful voice. He really does have a great speaking voice. I love when he reads scripture. Um, he had quite a southern drawl and tang to it when he was young. It was awesome. And this pastor asked Chase, he said, oh, are you guys uh, doing anything for uh, Halloween? And Chase said, we don't really do things connected to darkness. We just like doing things that point to light. I thought, what a sweet answer. What a sweet answer. He said lot, though, if you're wondering that. That's other draw there. Ephesians 5, 8 says, for at one time you were darkness. Not you were in darkness, you darkness. That was a name that fit outside of Christ. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
We are the light of the world, Jesus said, shining for all to see in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Think about that. He said, I'm the light of the world. And then he looks at those following him and says, you're the light of the world. That's us. That's remarkable. This world may be a dark, crooked, and twisted place at times, but we don't stick our head in the sand and hope it passes over and wail about the sky falling. No, we surrender our bodies and our minds to the Lord's leading as instruments of His grace. We ask the Lord to help us live out blameless lives, Ephesians, or rather Philippians 2.15. You'll see where I'm getting this from. We ask the Lord to help us live out blameless lives by His power. Not intentionally entangling ourselves with the filth of this world that is anti-Christ. Why? Because we want to stand out like sore thumbs. Not to point to us, but so they might see the light of the world. Like tall candelabra in burning blaze of fire to light up everything around us. Not to make a name for ourselves, but to show that His name is glorious. We are children of light. What a saint. What a savior. You were darkness. You didn't earn that. You didn't sign up for that. You didn't fill out a card and God say, okay, I think I'm going to let you be. No, no, no. You were called by the Holy Spirit, drawn by the Father to cast yourself on a Nazarene from the other side of the globe and say, I have no hope. Me ruling and running my own life is leading to death and destruction. You are the supreme ruler. I surrender to you. Cleanse me. Make me new. Repenting of sins, coming to faith in Christ. You were made new. You were removed from darkness and called light for the glory of God. We are children of light. Only a God who left his throne above. Only a God who took upon himself the sin of the whole world. Who hung, bled, and died on Calvary's cross. Only a God who invites us to come and place our faith and trust in him to repent of running our own lives toward destruction. Only this God can claim with authority that he lights up the whole world. And he's leading us toward life. What a God. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true and eternal life. Here's my point in putting that scripture up. Watch this. Jesus is not just pointing the way to life. He is life. You want a prize for following Jesus? Here, let me open it up for you. It's Jesus. What makes heaven heaven? will not be the streets of gold, the jasper walls, or even the grand reunion of seeing our loved ones who have gone before us as wonderful as that promise is. What will make heaven heaven will be that we get to spend eternity in unbroken fellowship with the lover of our souls. Children of life. Are you looking to Christ to light up your life this morning? Is he your all this morning? Does he affect the way you see things around you? If I were to come to you with one of those mag lights, I think they still make those. They've got LED lights in them now, so they're super bright. They used to be really bright before, now they're just crazy bright. And shine that in your eyes, right? Obnoxiously, and that's how I would do it. There's no like pleasant way. Let me shine this light in your eyes, please. 
it, it would disorient you. You'd look around and then turn it off quickly. You'd look around and, and everything else would look differently. You, you, you couldn't see other things clearly. It would, it would affect your vision. In fact, if you stare at light, the sun, please don't do that, kids. I don't need you to prove this. But if you stare at intense light long enough, it will ruin your vision and can affect it. And yet, there's laser vision correction, which is what? Highly concentrated refracted light that can correct our vision. Beloved, that's who Christ is. He's brighter than the brightest light, but he corrects our vision as the children of God and causes the things of this earth to grow strangely dim as we fix our eyes on him. He's the light of the world. Jesus' followers are truly living life, but there's a darkness mentioned too, and we have to mention it. It's right there in that verse. Look back. Uh, actually, before we get there, let me read the rest of the passage that really feeds all this. Uh, Norm read verses 12 through 20. 21 through 30 also cover I want you to hear the dialogue. I want you to hear the conversation with Jesus and people who refuse to see that he is the light. And then we'll come to our third and final point this morning. Verse 21, we pick up in, in John chapter number 8. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, and I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I think he's making his point. Verse 25, so they said to him, who are you? <laughs> Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, for I will always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Praise God. That's some pretty hard preaching. And it says many believed in him. Let's go to our third verse, third point this morning now, as we're closing. Without Christ, there is only darkness. Without Christ... There is only darkness. It was right there in verse 12 when he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. But I want you to keep your eyes trained on verse 21 that we just read. When I look at verse 21, I, I see a few things about living without Christ. I, I see that there, there's the possibility that you can miss an opportunity to come to Jesus. Look at what he says. He says, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. You can't just come to Jesus on your own time. You've heard that for 30 some years from this pulpit. You, you can seek God in your hour of need and not Find him, because the only way you come is when the Father's joining. So I, I want to say this to you, and I want to be careful in saying this to you. 
But the humanitarian drive in all of us, we hate to see anybody suffer. And we really hate to think of anybody spending eternity separated from God in a literal place called hell. But, but what this tells me is that folks that cry out to God in a moment of desperation, just because they cried, and just because they cried with sincerity, is not a guarantee that they will find the forgiveness they're seeking. Why would I say that to you? Because if you feel a draw to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you dare walk away from that. He's not obligated to call again. Nobody deserves to hear the gospel twice until the whole world has heard it at least once. And yet you get it time and time again. There's a danger in hearing the gospel too many times and saying no. The Bible says your heart can grow hard. I see that there's an opportunity you can miss. I see that without Christ, you will die in your sin. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that. I'm not taking a poll. Here's what Jesus said. You will die in your sin. Unless you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're, he, that He alone is your only hope of salvation, you are without hope. And I want to be very careful and precise in the way that I make this following statement, knowing all the various backgrounds in the room this morning. I want to speak to this. If you die in your sin, there is no hope for you to enter heaven and spend eternity with Christ. None. That door is closed. You say, well, that's not the way I brought up. You were brought up in error. Because Jesus says, you will die in your sin. Jesus continues to make the case, just as he did in verses 13 through 20, that he's God's only son. He is God incarnate. He's truly God. And he's truly man. As Julia makes her way forward this morning, let's get to some application for the various stages of us in the room today. If you're here this morning and you know that Jesus would look at you and while he would say, I love you, and I love that he says that, but if you know that he would look at you and say that, but that he would say, you are of this world, you are not in my kingdom. If you know that's you, I wouldn't take one step outside of this building I wouldn't scroll past this stream online without seriously contemplating that reality. Without Christ, I'm headed for destruction. Without Christ, I'm headed toward everlasting torment, separation from the only God who loved my soul enough to send his only son to provide a way for me to cherish him. That's who you're rejecting. That's bad news. But there is good news. The good news is this just and gracious creator of the universe has looked upon hopelessly sinful men and women and sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to bear his judgment against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin and his resurrection so that anyone from anywhere who turns from their sin and from themselves and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord can be forgiven of their sin and reconciled to God for all eternity. That's great news. Friend, 
If you aren't with Jesus today, cry out to God to save you. Don't struggle like so many of these detractors did with the blindfold on and the lights turned off. The Holy Spirit's turning on the light this morning for some of you. Come to Jesus. Now to my sisters and brothers this morning, Jesus is the light of the world. Do we really believe that Christ is the light of the world? If we really believe that, I believe it will have an impact on our affections and our passions. We will be driven differently than our unbelieving friends. If Christ is not a means to an end, if he's the means and the end, then we should have our gaze fixed on him so much that it affects the way we see everything else around us. Christ longs to be your magnificent, spectacular obsession. Second point, do we believe that followers of Jesus are the only ones heading toward true and everlasting life? If we really believe that, shouldn't that impact our behavior and our consumption of the things of this world? I mean, a people who believe this should be a people who are reading, studying, hearing, memorizing, and meditating on God's word because it's his revelation of himself to us, not to get smarter, but to know him more intimately and the power of his resurrection. And guess what? You will get smarter and you'll get more knowledge and wisdom as a result. You'd be a peculiar people who would put aside the constant barrage of worldly messaging and spend time in the life-giving word that saves. Finally, brother or sister, do we really believe that those without Christ are headed toward darkness? That there's only darkness outside of Christ? Do we really believe that if we really believe that? Wouldn't we tell everyone we could about the light that points to life everlasting? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Why? Because he is the light of the world. While she plays, I want you to pray. And if you want to pray with me, I'll be right there. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name today, we declare and agree with Scripture and your confession 
and claim to that authority that you are the light of the world. Jesus, shine bright in us, through us, for us. Lead us as children of light, Lord, and compel us to walk in a way that the darkness has moved around us, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have to anyone who asks us for the reason of that hope and that light and to do it by your spirit with gentleness and respect, Lord. You are the light of the world. Help us to live like we believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.